Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, you sent me an article from Bloomberg about the impending water shortage and crisis and scarcity issues that are happening all over the Southwest, most specifically in Arizona. One solution is about desalinization, but now we've also got to get Mexico involved. Here's the best paragraph I read. The idea of building a desalinization plant in Mexico has been discussed in Arizona for years. But now, a $5 billion project proposed by an Israeli company is under serious consideration, an indication of how worries about water shortages are rattling policymakers in Arizona and across the American West. On June 1st, the state announced that the Phoenix area, the fastest-growing region in the country, doesn't have enough groundwater to support all the future housing that has already been approved. Cities and developers that want to build additional projects beyond what has already been allowed would have to find new sources of water. And down the article, just to talk about the idea of trying to bring water all the way from Mexico to keep growth in the Southwest. This seems kind of insane when we know we just don't have enough water there. What did you think about the article? I, I've thought long that desalinization and wind power go really well together because it doesn't have to have be running constantly, but when it's windy, it would be a great way to use this resource. At the same time, we're plowing through 50 miles of mountains and over uh, through a national park or two in sense of economic area, ecological area to get these power lines and this water up and out. And ultimately, the biggest thing about the article I found is that most of the water is going to alfalfa and to feed for animals. I don't know why we're wasting this precious water on feed for animals. Why can't we just put a price on water and then let that price be determined by the market? I think consumers would pay a lot more for the water than farmers would be able to. And that sucks for farmers. But as we well know, there are no solutions, only trade-offs. Why aren't we pursuing the trade-offs? You're right. It, it, they said it's a 200-mile distance from where we're going to build a desalinization plant in Mexico, and then we're going to pipe it up an elevation of nearly 2,000 feet, and as you said, through national monuments and sensitive ecological areas. The whole thing kind of seems insane, and yet isn't the whole thing also just very American? We are going to live in a desert. <laughs> we are going to live in an area that really does not sustain life, not because we should, but because we can. And it just kind of seems like this is just who we are and therefore a part of me was like maybe we should stop writing articles about water scarcity and really just write articles about desalinization plants and what processes are the most efficient and just accept the fact that we're going to do this and stop and stop asking the question of should we do this you're right it is very american like we don't want to compromise on our lifestyles we want to um, continue to live in this place that's beautiful and sunny, but unbelievably hot and dry. And you're right, again, about Americans, like, we will do it even if we're not supposed to. Nobody lived, very few people lived in the desert before air conditioning. Once air conditioning became capable and uh, able to put up big areas and uh, support life, then everybody moved to the desert, including our friends are moving to the desert. I lived in the desert. It's fantastic. It's sunny every day. I like the dry. However, yeah, it seems like we'll just tackle this gigantic obstacle to desalinization rather than making tough choices whether we should live there or what we should do with the water. Well, my question is, 
Is there actually a water shortage issue? For the last five or 10 years, all you see are headlines about the water shortage or water scarcity issues in the West and California. But clearly, people keep moving there. And clearly, it still seems like it's affordable to live there. Either we're subsidizing too much, we're not letting the water fully reflect the scarce amount that there is, or is there still actually too much water there? Basically, you're saying that people still live there. There's not really a shortage because people want to live there and they're willing to pay the prices. Right. Yeah, I I understand. I, I'm with you there. And that's the thing is that if people are willing to live there and they're willing to pay the prices, let's put a market price on water. And if people still want to pay it, fine, let them live there. But the other article I sent you was saying that half the water is being used for alfalfa, for feed for animals, and that we could just stop that. There's more water going to alfalfa than there is to every house, every pool, every drinking fountain. And we could just use, stop growing animal feed. If that makes animals more expensive, it makes animals more expensive. Probably shouldn't eat as much meat anyway, and that would be a more accurate pricing on the animals. Let's use the water for what people are willing and really want to. They want to live in the desert. And farmers, I'm sorry. It is what it is. There is no perfect solution. See, that's what's interesting is, again, it seems like we're able to have enough water for alfalfa and have enough water for all the people that want to move there based upon everybody who can afford it. And I know that everybody wants to keep making projections about what the future of, of water is going to be like out there. But to me, it's just like, why don't we just carry on with what we've been doing? And again, if you can't afford it, then you'll just move away. I mean, we've seen people move away from cities like San Francisco and other ones that people are getting outpriced to, to go to cheaper areas. Wouldn't that be the natural solution to this? Because I, I guess I'm just getting tired of reading articles where we have to take shorter showers or you shouldn't be growing a lawn out in Arizona. And none of that really seems to be making a difference. And let's face it, Americans don't want to actually conserve anything. Therefore, I feel like we just have to price people out. And if it's alfalfa and, and residential communities that have to come to blows over this, then so be it. I'm choosing not to live there. Let the price solve it. I'm just kind of done reading about all of these articles about it, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. But what is ironic about it is San Francisco is booming like crazy until the last couple of years. And people that needed to work at like a Starbucks or whatever couldn't afford to live there. And it became a labor issue more than it became a, because you couldn't, nobody could live there to work there. So they had to commute from far away and it made for crappy lives for low wage workers. However, that's not what slowed San Francisco's growth. What slowed San Francisco's growth is crime. They can't deal with the homelessness and the crime problems they're having. So people are leaving. It was never about the water or the money. People are willing to pay unlimited amounts. People are leaving because of the crime. And ultimately, if they can have nice water, if they can get some water, enough to play golf, enough to <laughs> uh, take a good long shower, maybe not a lot for a lawn. We can convince you to do a desert landscape lawn. But we're going to, as long as there's enough, then we're, we're cool with that. And we will pay these prices and live in the desert. And maybe I'll move back, Zach. I'm not sure I wouldn't. Well, and, and hey, you know, good for you. And, and hopefully you'll just take a look at what it's going to cost you to actually be there. And as you're saying with like a place like San Francisco or even Seattle is, okay, there's, there's lots of different factors that started to cause people to move away from some of these areas as you're now starting to see abandoned office buildings and abandoned malls and, and people are starting to move away. 
But I would argue, also argue that in there is people getting priced out. In there was some of these major corporations that all of a sudden started having like very much more uh, loosened work from home policies. And people started saying like, I'm going to go live somewhere where it's cheaper. Ultimately, you could say the market itself sort of solved it. And hey, like, isn't that what should happen with this water shortage? And possibly part of the solution is more desalinization plants, as it sounds like this is something that's been going on. I was unaware that we already have hundreds of desalinization plants that are basically supporting communities in California, Texas, Florida. I had no idea that Israel was getting 60% of its water from desalinization plants. To me, this just seems like a regular part of our future. And I realize some people say, well, it's really energy intensive. It's it's uh, not a great idea in terms of probably the fossil fuels that have to get burned. But it just seems like it's working and supporting life in places where life probably shouldn't be. And I guess I just can't really see people backing away. If you want to be in the desert, you're going to be there. If you can afford to be there, you'll probably be there. Well, I think it's interesting to think about what is the limiting factor. And the limiting factor in San Francisco Bay Area is that it's NIMBY. They won't let you build anything. It's hemmed in by the ocean and all these areas and the peninsulas and the mountains. There's just not much space to build in San Francisco. It's not the water. It's the lack of places to build. The desert's the opposite. You can build in a desert forever. It just sprawls out forever and ever and ever. It's really easy to throw up a house there. You don't even need to do much digging. It's, it's super easy. Now, the water's hard to come by. And that's their problem. But seems like we can solve this water problem easier than we could solve the San Francisco housing problem. And so, yeah, let's just pipe in some water for desalinization. I love this company. It's a private company. It's not big government that wants to build this water desalinization plant and the power lines and the pipeline to get it back up. I mean, hey, all right, if somebody willing to fund it, let's do this. I think it should be a promising market. Maybe it, it does... could be a private water distribution. Wouldn't that be wild if they're like, well, you can get public water, but they're not doing any more people. You, you got to have to buy an old house and then steal their water. Or you can pay for private water from this company. And I kind of love this idea. <laughs> it does seem like it's a public-private uh, partnership in terms of the government obviously wants this service provided. But here's the thing that's kind of interesting was – if you want water from the desalinization plant in Mexico to come to Arizona, it's going to cost you 10 times more to get that water than from the Colorado, which I guess at this point says, is there a water shortage? If it's cheaper to get the water from the Colorado River, why has that price not increased, I guess? Why is it still cheaper to get from the Colorado if everybody keeps saying there's a shortage? Well, we need to fundamentally readdress the water rights situation because in California, water rights are based upon who drew first out of this water, meaning this family started a farm in 1830 and they have first and they pulled water out of the river. They have first rights. But we need to readjust this altogether because that water that's going to the farm for alfalfa or whatever is not going to a household, which will is willing to pay far, far more. There isn't really a water shortage. It's just water's not priced appropriately. So price it appropriately. No, and, and that's a really good point. And this is why I recommend everybody read these articles. And, and this, this article came from Vox, and it was much more about the alfalfa raising and, and the cattle and how much water it takes. But it, but it gave you a basic breakdown of on the East Coast, 
Basically, they run water rights through something called the Riparian Doctrine, which is the idea that anyone near a body of water has an equal access to the rights for it. However, in the West, as you just said, it's called the Prior Appropriation Doctrine. And whoever was there first, as long as they continue to use the water, basically has access to it. I thought that was fascinating, and I didn't really understand why there's such a water scarcity issue. And as you said, there's not necessarily a scarcity issue. It's more of an allocation issue. But I guess in America, where we believe in property rights, if your great ancestors were out there hacking it and, and running a gold mine back in the 1830s or something like that, what's wrong with still owning the property? It's yours. Shouldn't you still have the rights to the water? Yeah, well, people buy up these property rights because they want the water. Linda Resnick's one of the richest people in our richest women in our nation, and she holds all the pomegranates and the uh, and the pistachios, and it's because she has all the water rights. It's just bizarre. We drove through the Central Valley last year, and you can see it's just drip irrigation in this 110 degree valley of like seemingly desert, but there's dates all over the place, and they're being fed by this water that's taken from the river. Now, the water rights just seem to be going on forever and ever, and I'm sure there'll be pitchforks and torches if they go to change it, but don't they have to change it? Isn't this the most pressing issue? Why aren't politicians fighting for this? Because all of the lawyers get to get involved. And I think that's part of it is like Americans love lawyers. We love big smoky rooms where a couple of big power players walk in and everybody has to like read thousands of pages of documents and it's got to be super complicated. And therefore, like the prior appropriation doctrine just kind of seems to work. Plus, you're hinting at wanting to move back to the desert. Why should you deserve an equal right towards the water when you're you're not there? You left. These other people have been there and, and they continue to control their peace. I don't know. To me, that just kind of seems like if I had the rights to this water, I don't know if I want to necessarily share it equally with you. Yeah, but I just want a little bit. I don't I don't need as much <laughs> as uh, 10 acres of alfalfa. I need as much as like 30 feet, uh, 30 square feet of alfalfa. I take short showers. I don't need a green lawn. I'm good. But yeah, it just seems like it's an inefficient use of resources. And like you said, part of the thing is you have to use the water continuously. And that's why they grow alfalfa, because it uses tons of water and they're using it all the time. If they stop using it, they'll stop getting it. Just like government funding. If the government doesn't spend money on, if I don't spend my hundred bucks every year on my classroom supplies, Zach, it's gone. So I spend that hundred bucks every year. It's not necessarily spent most wisely, but I know if I don't spend it, I don't get, it's gone. At least I still get it next year. Some of the, this, this situation you wouldn't get it next year. So you got to use the water. Why, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I think it needs to be totally readdressed. But you're right. Lawyers, lawsuits, uh, people's livelihoods are on the line. But it seems like there's it's worth an, an issue worth tackling, something that's not well thought out. No, I, I think it is well thought out. And it's being well thought out every day by people who are probably billing at hundreds of dollars an hour. It, it, in a way, again, this whole issue just seems very much a part of who we are as a people. And that is, we're going to live in places we probably shouldn't live in. We want a lot of open space. And we're going to fight over every inch of what we can get. It's just that the public good, 
uh, or trying to serve the many at the at the cheapest possible price seems to be put on the back burner by those who were there first. But I don't know. I, I guess like, isn't this why like people love that show Yellowstone? Is it's just about <laughs> like people that have been here for generations and you know have this mythology in their head that they were hacking it out in the woods with just a simple pocket knife. And yet kind of none of that's really true because ultimately it was just somebody who was like super rich, who like gobbled up a lot of land and then had a lot of smart lawyers and political connections that kind of like carved out a big stretch of land for themselves. And yet we kind of want to ignore that and then sort of wave a little flag and talk about equality for, for water rights. Yes. And this is why most of the shows are about good looking and or rich people. And that that's who we uh, kind of in the mythologize, like the royal family. Um, but it just seems like the overall public well-being is suffering tremendously from a misallocation of resources and that this should be addressed. But it, it, it's just not. It's just not. Nobody's nobody's ready to take it on. Well, going back to alfalfa. Now, I was a kid that grew up. I had a guinea pig at one point, had a rabbit at one point. I always equated alfalfa with like going and buying this little bag of like green dried grass. And, you know, the little varmint animal I had as a pet just went crazy for it. I, I guess like I, I, I always thought that cows ate hay. I didn't know that they uh, ate alfalfa. Now, are they the same thing or is alfalfa like a, a greener version of hay? It has more protein, I think, and it's uh, easier to fatten up a cow on it or a pig or a chicken or whatever. It's just a it's a prime feed that's very, very good for feeding animals, is my understanding. And uh, straw is what they lay on, hay they eat, but I don't think it's as nutritionally rich as alfalfa. Because I feel like in a way, the article seems a little bit um, biased towards kind of bashing alfalfa. Like, look at these stupid Americans. They're growing alfalfa with their water. Like, if there's a market for it, I don't think we should bash alfalfa and cattle ranching. I mean, again, I, I feel like the idea that like, well, we eat too much beef and that's why we have this water shortage out there. Shame on Americans. Like, I'm sorry, Americans love beef. I mean, the number of barbecue shows and, and smokehouses out there are just incredible. We're not changing that, if you know what I'm saying. And therefore, this is why I think we either need to like reflect the prices or get more desalinization. But I just don't feel like all of a sudden articles like this is going to say, you know what? You're right. We have too many almonds and alfalfa. We should be growing something else. Or we should let these farms turn to dust, which I also, also think is insane. As you know, my father once said, like, why aren't we talking more about food security, especially in an age of global climate change? Is it possible we need to have more farms out in these very highly productive agricultural regions and get rid of the people living out there so that we can just be efficient about growing food as as a nation? We should really be thinking about making sure we can grow as much food as possible. I, I think you're uh, you're well as a guy that has a smoker and uh, loves smoking and grilling and barbecuing. You're you're a little biased, but I appreciate <laughs> that. I don't think that America. I think Americans can change. Americans are drinking much less beer. Might be Americans are drinking less alcohol in general. Americans no, are, are we changing. drinking more alcohol than more than ever? No, the new millennials they don't drink barely at all. And so our trends, there's an article in the journal recently that clubs are having to reallocate their resources because you can have a big, uh, a big concert for 20 somethings and they sell a, they sell fourth, uh, like 40% of the alcohol they sell otherwise. 
to old people because our generation drinks, Zach. We drink. But the younger people don't drink as much. And so they they don't make as much money at the club when they have a concert. People do change what they're doing. And maybe we should change away from these tremendously inefficient resource, inefficient sources of food like beef, which I enjoy. I like a steak. I like a burger, but I don't like it every day. I can have beef maybe once every week or two. That's usually when we eat it. But I think Americans can change. And if we went to more efficient food resources, I also love almonds. But if it takes a gallon of water to get one almond and an area where there's almost no water, that seems inefficient. And I'm willing to pay more for the beef. And if I'm not willing to pay more for it, then I won't buy it. And that's okay, too. Um, now, the idea of throwing the people out. Now, I know that this is what you want. You want people to move out of the desert because you're a bitter Michigander and you're like, no, no, you can't have sunshine 350 days a year and water. Screw you. Come back to a place where it's awful half the time. So thus, we appreciate the other half. And yeah, I understand that, but I don't think that's rational either. I think that people find living there very efficient and gives them lots of utility, and therefore they're willing to pay for it. If they're willing to pay for it, that's ultimately it. If we're not willing to pay for more expensive beef, don't eat, don't eat beef. There's a lot of other choices. If you're not willing to pay for the expensive housing and water out there, don't do it. You can live somewhere else. But people do want to live there, and it is easy to build there, just not supply the water. And so I think it is an efficiency solution. And if we do allow the prices to accurately reflect the true costs, including externalities, then people will live where they want to live and eat what they want to eat. And they'll make the choices based upon how much resources they have. Well, this, and I think I agree with most of what you're saying. Let prices reflect whether or not people want to live out there. Let prices reflect whether or not people want to consume more beef. I guess just let's not take it all out on the alfalfa farmers and the beef uh, producers. I feel like they're sort of all of a sudden the people that have to be the scapegoat. It's their fault uh, for all of this. In fact, there's another great line in this article, and they basically said, like, alfalfa's uh, takes up 68% of Utah's water supply, but only accounts for 0.2% of the state's income. And I'm not sure what to do with that statistic. I, I guess, does it say that the people of Utah are really bad at business or are they just uh, subsidizing this sort of stuff? I don't think they value the water appropriately. <laughs> or do they appropriate it perfectly? Because clearly they must think they have enough water to support this uh, interesting kind of inefficient industry. Yeah, maybe. I don't know much about the water situation in uh, Utah. Isn't a lot of it salty? I, I would have thought, although there was another headline the other day that says we might be losing your beloved Great Salt Lake. Uh, I, I, I've driven by it. I'm not super impressed by the Great Salt Lake. I know you're a salt, you're a saltwater body guy. You, you love that. You are talking to somebody who has floated in the Dead Sea a long time ago. Yeah, floated on top of the Dead Sea. I saw the pictures. Yes, yes. It's uh, it really is a remarkable thing. Although you got to get a quick freshwater shower in the middle of the desert quickly to run, rinse all that salt off. Very inefficient for water uh, water rights again. Yeah, you need more showers right on the coast. It'll, on the side of the lake, it'll uh, fill it back up. <laughs> well, the other thing they said, though, was that across 17 states in America that are growing alfalfa, we send 10% of that alfalfa to Asia and the Middle East. Places like Saudi Arabia banned alfalfa farming a long time ago because of their own water scarcity issues. Mm -hmm. So again, what does that say about alfalfa? Are we the morons or are we the, the, the brilliant business people here? 
Well, I have no problem with sending it overseas in terms of if that's the best market, then yeah, send it there. But if we're not appropriately pricing the water, then we're not appropriately pricing the alfalfa. So that means that that leads to exports, then okay. Maybe gerbils, <laughs> gerbils in Saudi Arabia <laughs> are living off the uh, water from, they could be letting people in California drink. I don't, it, but in terms of like, it just comes back to again and again, is this an appropriately priced crop? And I don't know. I don't think it's subsidized. Maybe it is subsidized, but it's certainly subsidized by the lower priced water than it should be. How are you going to handle it when you find out that the Saudi Arabians have been fattening up their pet guinea pigs with our alfalfa grown in Colorado? I, I'm fine with that. Uh, I'm more, the Saudis can do that and then uh, feed their alfalfa to their soccer stars they're buying and their golfers they're buying. They have lots of money to spend. They're spending it, Zach. They are. They are. Well, I guess my thing is, is the way that it was written in Vox about us sending our alfalfa to other countries. It just seemed to be in that sort of shame on you, you ignorant Americans. And it seemed like to be like written in that way of like getting people to have an emotional response. It reminded me of, do you remember like 10, 15 years ago when it was a political issue in Michigan of whether or not Canada was dumping its trash in Michigan and how the politicians were going to stop this. And people were very upset about if we were taking Canada's trash. Yes, I do remember. It was the optics were very important. Yes. And that's kind of what it felt like, I, I, the optics. And so, I don't know. I, I, again, most of it's probably just sound and fury signifying nothing. But it, it's just something that I, I didn't know about. And I definitely learned a lot about it in terms of this alfalfa issue. Now, the other issue in, involved in all of this is this small kind of coastal Mexican town where Arizona wants to build this desalinization plant and then they want to pipe it, of course, is that you basically take 100 gallons of seawater, you can push it through all of these membranes, you get 50 gallons of fresh water, and then you have this super concentrated brine of extra salty water that you're then going to dump back into the ocean. The fear is that you're going to basically like poison and kill all of the fish that is a major lifeblood of this Mexican town. How worried should we be about that? Uh, or do you figure that the Arizona officials or the Israeli company officials will be compensating this town well enough. They, of course, claim this isn't going to kill sea life. Uh, should we be reflecting that externality at all? Perhaps. the uh, It seems like in other desalinization plants, it just kind of drifts off and it dissolves and it becomes more balanced out in the ocean. Doesn't the ocean get lots of fresh water that's running off anyway and spreading out fertilizer? Maybe this will be good to kill some algae. Um, also, that town was going to get some of the fresh water that's created by a desalinization plant, and they really, really need it. So maybe that balances it out. But certainly there's going to be negative consequences for them from that's funded by American dollars. But also there'll be jobs there. So if they get jobs in fresh water, maybe it's a uh, maybe it's a it's a hash out, even not even out. Well, it's one of those things where if you live in Arizona, you don't actually have to look at the consequences, right? You don't have to look at the fishermen in the eyes as, as all of their like lifeblood, economic lifeblood is dying out literally. You just have to pay for it. Apparently 10 times more than the Colorado River. So then my other question is, can I just still choose to have the Colorado River water if it's cheaper? I, I think you would prefer that. But uh, I, I think ultimately the uh, town will probably balance it out. It's like, hey, if you want to build a new development, you got to pay this higher price for the water. And maybe that works just fine. 
And maybe you don't have to feel guilty either. You can water your lawn and have like a rich green grass with your expensive water. Yeah. I, I've always wondered those golf courses out in uh, Arizona. I, I, do they have to water them like 10 times a day or just, do they just keep the water on all day long? Like, I guess you lived out there. Like how do you keep grass that lush and green in the desert? Some of them use reclaimed water. So it's water that uh, goes through the sewage system. They clean it up a little bit, separate out the solids, and they water the golf course with it. Um, much of it is piped from underground, but they water it in the morning, and they, uh, they're they pretty good at making do with the water. It's also the more the time of year where it's really popular to golf out there is the winter here. So it's not as hot all year. But uh, you're right, from, uh, from, let's say, Easter till Halloween is pretty damn hot. And yeah, they water them in the morning and sometimes in the afternoon too, but um, it, it's, it's a lot of water. Now, do you think at all in these articles or in this discussion about, you know, water scarcity out in, in the West, I, I was on the Colorado River a couple of summers ago and our rafting guide pointed out several invasive species that are just growing along the banks of the Colorado River and they are like sucking up like 200 gallons of water a day. Why aren't we having a bigger national conversation about trying to take out the invasive species? Like, it just seems like there's a lot of ways to to sort of like maybe solve this issue. And once again, like we're yelling about alfalfa and cattle this week, but like, where are the articles about let's take out the invasive species? I think that's a much harder change. I think just to not grow alfalfa is an easier change in terms of the policy. Once it's implemented, you just can't grow it. They don't plant it and it's all good. But um, other than the farmers who are, of course, enraged and in poverty. Um, yeah, and chopping down. And I don't know if you've tried in your yard, Zach, but I fight the battle all the time against these uh, invasive weeds that come in my yard. It, it, it's not a one-off, like, fix it that way. It's just a constant me chopping down Virginia creeper that comes into my yard. Uh, just an ongoing battle that is not easy to solve. So, yeah, I think I that's know. a tough one. I mean, it just seems like, I mean, can't we do, like, one of those, like, public works projects, like, back, like, in the 1920s or during the, the, the Depression and just get a bunch of young, like, college kids to go out there and just start hacking away at stuff? Like yeah. For like every three weeks, you could like it's gonna it doesn't stay away. It doesn't like it doesn't get eradicated. I don't know. We we like hire like pig hunters in Hawaii to like take out the feral pigs, and they're just like constantly have a job. I, I don't know. It just seems like there's so many other issues to this that um, maybe we need to be talking about this as much as you know your hated alfalfa farmers who are just running a business and at least it's honest and at least we know how they got it and they have a legal right to what they're doing currently <laughs> i i mean i think what's also interesting about the way we talk about water scarcity is we almost like yell squirrel and everybody like draws their attention and now for one minute we're upset about the invasive species for the next minute we're like that people like the fact that somebody took a three-minute shower or a kettle it just seems like uh there's so many factors that are contributing to this issue that that like you just see headlines that like want to like point something down to one thing instead of talking about the complexity to the issue Oh, a complex issue is certainly this is, and uh, that makes for a very unfulfilling read. Uh, it's just uh, you just want a, one issue to grab everybody's attention, make it simple and easy, the solution, rather than it's incredibly complex. That's the reality and, of course, an un, unsatisfying one for most people.
Yes. No, I, I think you're right. And that's ultimately why the lawyers, I think, uh, get to sort of be the heroes in this story, at least out West. Now, of course, last winter, we got um, an enormous amount of snow up there on the on the Rocky Mountains and in California. Reservoirs are kind of refilling. There's even a lake somewhere out, I think, in the Imperial Valley at one point. That that lake was the largest lake west of the Rocky Mountains. Um, it then senses drain, but it's now going to be filled for two or three years, I think, as people are trying to figure out exactly what to do. Farms are underwater out there. Any chance we get a couple more years of high snows? I know people say, like, you know, the 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 pressure has been alleviated at least a little bit in the scarcity. Maybe we just bet on Mother Nature bringing us back to a couple decades of, of more wet winters. Maybe we just kind of get bailed out by Mother Nature. Let's cross our fingers. You know, you, you've got, like, basically uh, different crops that, that people want to blame for uh being the worst uh things like almonds things like pistachios of course we could look at like alfalfa or all the various fruits and vegetables that are uh, grown out there in the west is there one fruit or vegetable or or crop that you personally could just deal without um and, and say you know what we don't need this anymore I can deal without anything, Zach. I did. I just, I just stopped eating uh, bread for the most part recently. Like I, I can just get get rid of it. That's fine. Um, but yeah, you're yeah. making a moral stance against bread right now. No, just less carbs. Just not going to do it as much. Trying to maintain my uh, healthy level of fitness. But uh, I, I could get drop anything in particularly. It seems like dates are particularly um, thirsty. However, thirsty. But they're just, gross. Oh no, I just Zach, I just got a cookbook for my son and it is it has a recipe for bacon wrapped dates. I, I'm I'm interested. I'm really enthused. That's I love irresponsible dates. meat and, and dates. Like that's very <laughs> irresponsible for for you to eat those things. Oh yeah, yeah. Very irresponsible, but it's gonna be really tasty. And I'm willing to pay a high price for bacon. I buy expensive bacon. I buy like five dollars for twelve ounces of bacon. I'm okay with that. I don't eat a lot. I just want to eat good stuff. Not the cheap cuts, huh? No, I will not buy cheap bacon. No, no, no Smithfield. No, thank you. Well, let me just uh, read you some statistics here. And I want you to tell me which one America should get rid of. Apparently, let's pretend you become the water czar out there. All the lawyers oh, look to you. It People says, me. this is how many gallons of fresh water it, it takes to make one pound of the food. So it takes 600 gallons of water to make one pound of cheese about 500 gallons of water to make one pound of nuts, about 450 uh, pounds of water to make uh, a pound of fish, uh, 300 gallons of, of water to make uh, a pound of beef, 250 to make a pound of rice, about 200 to make a pound of pork. Uh, and it kind of just keeps dropping down. Um, any of those things think we can get rid of takes about 75, uh, pounds of water to make, uh, one pound of dark chocolate. Uh, you know, uh, therefore like lots of interesting things here. Any ones that, that you say, and eh, we can do without of this. I, I eat a lot of nuts. I, I like, uh, I like a lot of things on that list, but I think I'm ready to get rid of the uh, beef. I, I can go without, I can be all right. What about like the farm fish? What about farm fish? Like that just well, sounds farm gross. fish is trash, but it's uh, the also the most affordable fish and sustainable fish. Fish sticks. <laughs> yeah. 
you hate fish. I love fish. So there you go again. I will say this. It only takes uh, about, I don't know, maybe 10 gallons of water to make a pound of tofu. I, I eat tofu. I have no problem. It's not, there's not a lot of tofu fans in my family. I've tried to make it for people several times. There's, uh, it doesn't, doesn't bring out the masses. Soy milk seems very efficient at, at barely a gallon of water, it looks like, to, um, to, to make a pound of that. Yeah. Um, potatoes also super efficient uh, down in that range. Um, it looks like cheese, Don. 600 gallons of, of water to make one pound of cheese. Uh, maybe we just got to stop eating all those weird, stinky, runny cheeses and stuff like that. Well, and that's heavily subsidized. I remember reading recently we have a stockpile of cheese that the government's been buying up because there was surplus, like 70 pounds per person for the America for America. Yeah, we probably overproduce cheese. We probably don't need as much cheese. Although I know you love your stuffed crust pizza. I, I do, if I ever can get near a Pizza Hut. Unfortunately, uh, Southeast Michigan did not uh, strategically uh, place the Pizza Huts around my house, so I don't get to see it very often. Although, isn't that like a Wisconsin thing? Aren't we doing most of our cheese out there? Like, is there, there's no water shortage there. Like, uh, again, this seems a little bit misleading, maybe. I think California makes a whole lot of cheese. All right. Well, I, I maybe they got to rethink that then. Maybe they could give up on just that, and then uh, everything will be solved. We'll get you your nuts and uh, your farmed uh, fish and stuff like that. Maybe we can start advertising for California cheese. <laughs> do you do you ever see a day in our future where we can stop reading about headlines about the water shortages in the American no. Southwest? No. Okay. I, I would assume when you were there back in the 90s, people were talking about water shortages and stuff like that? Yes, they were. And people just carried on, right? I mean, yeah, what, yeah. What, <laughs> it was, and I guess the, that's The like, aquifer is getting lower and lower. There's less and less water. Someday it's going to be a real problem, but that day is not today. Right. And I guess that's what's sort of interesting is we keep reading about it. And it keeps seeming to be a problem that people want to write about and talk about. And yet people keep feeding their guinea pigs and uh, looking for technological solutions. And I, and I guess we could say maybe this isn't a good technological solution, but if there is a solution and therefore if there is a solution, it seems like that's probably where humanity is just going to keep going, right? Is, well, let's just make a desalinization plant and we're not going to ask hard questions about what's going to happen to the environment. Well, that's a perfect solution. Technology solves all, right? And we don't want to change our behavior, but we can have a technology solution that'll fix it all and then we'll be set to go. I love it. Or it's going to be subsidized by somebody or the externality uh, is going to be probably hurting some poor fishing village and they'll be the ones bearing the brunt of the cost. Maybe the Saudis can fund this plant and this transmission line. Arizona's big, they're big Republican territory. They should be able to push through this uh this plant and the uh, forget the harm to come to the ecology as you pipe this stuff through, they should push it through. They're good at that. Now, what I mean, New Mexico's uh, an equally sort of desert dry state, isn't it? I, I mean, how and they're also growing big. I, how are they getting? Uh, how are they escaping? I guess the headlines in all of this. I think they have far less people. Okay, maybe they'll and, be the next state people want to move to. Yeah, and they have uh, they have less. Uh, I think they only have two million people in New Mexico. That's a lot less than in Arizona, and their higher elevation, more. I think they don't have to suffer as much as uh, Arizona. 
Okay. I mean, there are headlines now where, where people are feeling priced out of Florida. Um, I think partly for uh, just the fact that like a lot has been developed there and also all the retirees are there. I think insurance costs are, are kind of climbing and therefore it does seem like the American Southwest is, is the new booming area for especially retirees and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, Florida is weird because we were there recently, and I know you go there every year. There's so much uh, waterfront, and anybody can get to the water. There's access to the water, and that's for people that love water. And then there's the mouse in the middle, and people like Florida. I I, I have nothing. I enjoyed a trip to Florida this year. I don't want to move to Florida. Um, but I guess you get sunshine and water down there, but you also get hurricanes and lots of bugs in the desert. You don't get the water, but you get the sunshine and no bugs. It's, it's pretty great. What, what are the hot months? Is it like April through October where you're going to have those hundred plus degree days? Well, it's a dry heat sack. You barely even notice it, but once you hit Halloween, <laughs> Halloween might be a hundred degrees, but after you hit leave Halloween, you're, you're good. And then around through Easter, you're also, you're great. And then once you hit Easter, you're going to be using that air conditioning and uh, fleeing some heat from Easter to uh, into Halloween. Is that like the dumbest thing we can argue is the quote unquote dry heat phenomenon? No. Like I lived in Egypt, quote unquote dry heat and a hundred degrees dry is still really hot. I, I don't, I disagree, Zach. I've, I don't mind the heat at all. I'd be out all day in 105, 110 degrees, and it's fine. Just keep drinking water. It's good. I don't mind it at all. Not sticky. You're just not that sticky. If you've been in Philadelphia in the summer, then you know sticky, awful. Like, ugh. All right. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, well, I, I hope one day you and your wife are back out there, and I can come and visit, and we can uh, podcast about whether 100-degree dry heat is uh, is tolerable. 120 is hot, but over uh, <laughs> between 100 and up to 110. Once you're over 110, it's pretty hot, but under 110, it's not that bad. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, uh, you're probably right. We'll probably continue to read about water scarcity issues, um, and uh, we'll we'll see what the next solution is. But hopefully, prices maybe will reflect. And uh, I do wonder if at some point this does go away. Is maybe maybe there's sort of an equilibrium between how people are getting their water allocations and, and maybe this thing just uh, sort of finds its, 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 uh, its level, if that makes sense. I hope we got everything right here. I want to hear from Kevin McCarthy, my friend in California, who I know listens and want to find out if we got it right. Yes, please uh, send us your feedback. There is uh, we'll post definitely links to both of these articles and uh, Don, it's been a pleasure talking with this week. I look forward to talking with you next week. If we don't get canceled by the alfalfa lobby. We, I think we were rather pro alfalfa in this uh, in this <clears throat> podcast. We'll find out. All right, Zach, have a good one. <laughs> Take care. Bye.